Father, we need you all the time, and uh, we are so thankful that you are there, that you are gracious and kind and merciful, and that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that if we abide in your Son and his word in us, you will work through us, Lord God, your will, that you will prove and demonstrate uh, that in our lives. And Lord, we thank you that you've revealed your will in your word, and I pray as we look into your word that you would help us understand the intent of what we'll see today and that we would respond, Lord God, with uh, as you desire us to respond uh, so that you'd be glorified in all that uh, we do. And so we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you've, you're all probably quite aware that the evangelical church has gone through a, a, a paradigm shift of titanic proportions over the last 30 years. It's gone from that which would be uh, what people would call word-centered preaching, teaching, to now uh, just dealing with felt needs, uh, coming into addressing the needs of the people. That's what church seems to be. When I was in seminary, that's what they tried to teach me. Rather than teaching what the scriptures teach, they tried to teach that we are to address the felt needs of the congregation, uh, rather than what God's word would say, which is to equip the saints with the word of God so that they could accomplish the works of service and, and gain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. That's what pastors and teachers are to be doing, to share the word of God so that we're built up. But uh, the way the church is these days, you would think what we need is uh, what we want. Um, and so what people want is what they need, and that's what they give them. But what is it that we truly need as believers? Well, today we're going to finish our look in the book of Second Thessalonians. And the portion we're going to see is the last three verses. So if you turn your Bibles, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, verses 16 to 18. And that portion was too long to add into the last sermon, and it's too short for this sermon. So this may be a little shorter, but uh, I believe we'll be able to understand what... The Lord wants us to know from this final conclusion in the book of Second Thessalonians. And so uh, as we come to the conclusion, I just want to review uh, what we've seen, the context of the book and what we've seen. Uh, we know that uh, if you were with us for our study of First Thessalonians, that uh, we have the account of the salvation of this church in Acts chapter 17. The account of the conversion of the Thessalonians, where the Apostle Paul was there three weeks sharing the word of God, and they responded to the word of God. They believed. And in First Thessalonians, we see that they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to, to wait for his Son from heaven who delivers us, Jesus Christ, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And we know from chapter 2 that they received the word of God, not as the word of men, but the word of God, what it really is, the Word of God, which performs its work in you who believe. And then we see in chapter, we see that they had sent Timothy, or Paul had sent Timothy to see how they were doing after Paul had been run out of town. Uh, he was concerned about their faith. And it's during that 18-month stay in Corinth, probably around the spring of 50 AD, that Paul writes the first letter. But then we see, because he's with the same traveling companions, that it is very close to the same time, maybe a month or two after First Thessalonians, that he writes Second Thessalonians, and so, <clears throat> and so we see here 
Second uh, Thessalonians is from Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy. And so it's unapparent. It's only a short time. And during this time, if you look through these two books, you see the Apostle Paul writes to a church that is less than a year old in the faith, and he is teaching them serious truth and doctrine. Even at the end of 1 Thessalonians, he says, have this letter read to everyone. Every believer should have read through or have heard 1 Thessalonians. And that's within the first year of their life. And now we're into 2 Thessalonians. And the Apostle Paul is helping this church that is young in the faith and is tempted in the midst of the difficulties that they are experiencing. And so remember that they were going through some difficulties at this time. We saw this in chapter 1, that the Apostle Paul uh, shares that they are enduring much, much affliction for following Jesus, much affliction, much persecution for following him. And he wants to encourage them to endure. And so he shares the truth of what will happen to those who are persecuting these Thessalonians. He shares that God will, in time, bring about retribution upon those who persecute them, and they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction uh, separate from the Lord. And yet, these Thessalonians will go on to eternal glory. So be encouraged. The suffering is temporal. Uh, it's a suffering for the glories to follow. Don't be discouraged. God will take care of those who are opposing and who are, uh, who are causing you to suffer, who are persecuting you. And then we're going to see that the Lord will come and they will marvel together at him in glory. And so we were greatly encouraged, I believe, in the end of uh, chapter 1. And then we saw just before the end that the Lord made it clear uh, wonderfully that it was his desire to cause us to live up to our great calling and that our desire for goodness and the working of our faith would be powerful, powerfully fulfilled so that Christ would be glorified as we are in him and he in us all by his grace. And then we came into chapter 2 and we saw how to keep from being discouraged again when suffering because there are threats to, to the faith. And there were threats to the faith of these Thessalonians. Uh, there were those phonies, those bad guys who had come in and said the day of the Lord had already come and thus implying for these Thessalonians that they had missed the Lord's coming to deliver them from that wrath to come. And the Apostle Paul has to make it clear that, hey, this can't happen, and there are false letters out there, false guys. Don't listen to them, because that can't happen unless two things happen first, that the apostasy comes and the man of the lawlessness is revealed. And that certainly hasn't happened, so you're not in the day of the Lord. But then he goes on to talk about the day of the Lord and the uh, Antichrist, the man of lawlessness. And he makes it clear that the ultimate sign of this day of the Lord would be the abomination of desolation uh, being revealed. But he's not going to be revealed until the one who restrains him is taken out of the way. Right now, the, the spirit of Antichrist is functioning in the world. We see that, but there's a restrainer. There's the spirit of God restraining that through the church. The church will be removed, and then that opens the door for that worldwide apostasy, and then the man of lawlessness being revealed in the middle of the tribulation. And in that time, he will uh, be given all of Satan's power and authority, Revelation chapter 13, and, and his Cordian kingdom, and he will declare himself to be God. And that's when, as Jesus would share in Matthew 24, that those Jews who, who see him in the temple, as Daniel said, they need to get out of town because God will protect them if they're listening, if they're prepared, if they're his. 
And so then there's a time in which that would come upon the world in which uh, the world has never seen and never will again. And if Christ hadn't stopped it or won't, hadn't, wouldn't come, if he hadn't stopped it at that time, then the whole world would have uh, ceased to exist. And so we have uh, this man of lawlessness explained. But he goes on to explain the people who will follow him during that time, that they will be allowed and they will be deceived under their own judgment because they did not have a love of the truth so as to be saved. And the same thing on a small scale is for each one of you. If you reject Christ, if you don't have a love of the truth so as to be saved, God will allow you to be hardened and deceived unto your own destruction. We see that very clearly in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And so with that, um, it is an encouragement that God is taking care of those who are against them, that, that, and he will... Uh, he will certainly uh, address those who have come against them. So they will eternally pay the penalty in the lake of fire for rejecting Christ. And then we saw at the end of chapter 2 that we need to hold and stand firm in his word. And when we do so, when we do so, God already having given us eternal comfort and good grace. He will comfort our hearts and strengthen us for every good work and deed. Tremendous truth. Tremendous truth. As I just talk about it and summarize it, I just it makes me uh, excited about what we've already seen in Second Thessalonians and what we've gone through already. And then we came to chapter three, where we saw Paul's example of how we should pray for our leaders. And indeed, by his example, we should pray that the word should go forth rapidly and have a response, be glorified that it would be exalted and honored in the response, and that we are to pray uh, for our leaders to be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. There are fakers out there, uh, just like Satan. Satan uh, disguises himself as an angel of light, and so his servants do also. They disguise themselves. But the Lord will protect us, and he will establish and protect us, the body of Christ, from the evil one. Praise the Lord. And then before our last time together, we saw encouragement for the suffering to continue to obey, to continue to obey the word. And it was preparation for the last commands that he would give concerning a specific issue in this church in which there were those who were acting like busybodies, doing no work at all. How are we to address those unruly in the body of Christ? And the Apostle Paul shared very clearly that there is to be a loving admonishment to those who are unwilling to work and to obey the word of God, and that if they don't respond to that, there is to be a separation that shames, that shames, but to still love them as brothers in Christ, that these unruly would be shamed and they would repent and get to work and do what God has called them to do. And so at this point, we come to the end of the book where we're going to see in summary, in this uh, final concluding remarks, what we really need, what we really need. Verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, and this is a distinguishing mark of every letter. This is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And so that concludes our book. And I believe we're going to see again what, in these concluding remarks, what we really need as believers. Uh, in contradiction to what we think we need, uh, what God determines and shares that we need. 
Now, some would call this a prayer, some would call this a benediction, whatever you call it. It's his inspired greeting at the end. It's his inspired remarks, and it is God's desire for us. It's not simply Paul's desire. It is Paul, inspired by the Spirit's desire. It's God's desire through Paul, inspired by the Spirit for us. And so notice the first thing we see here, what God desires for us, and this is really amazing. If you think about it, this is quite amazing. He desires us to have his peace in every single circumstance. And you go, wow, I've sure missed out on a lot, (laughs) right? If you think about your lives, I'm sure you can name many circumstances that you didn't have his peace. I can. I can name times when I didn't have his peace, times when I I wasn't when I was worried or concerned or whatever it might be. Things that happened. They were going through a lot, this group of believers. They were going through severe persecution. And now we have this statement. Now may the Lord of peace himself, it's personal, continually grant you peace in every circumstance. And we know that indeed those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. We know that. Jesus said that there's going to be trouble. If the world hated me, it's going to hate you, right? And in this world, you're going to have trouble. Take courage. He's overcome the world. And so we have God's desire for us through Paul, inspired by the Spirit. And this is an amazing statement. May the Lord of peace himself continually grant and in this context, these Thessalonians, and then us, as we'll see, peace in every circumstance. Every circumstance. And you go, wow, I need to think about this. I need to focus on this. I need to understand this. Because God's will is not for me to be worried about things. God's will is not for me to have a lack of peace in anything, but to have peace in every circumstance. What an amazing thought that's what we need people search for it in different ways and they search through the wrong doors as we're going to see it is only the lord of peace himself and there's a process in how he brings forth that peace otherwise we would just have it all the time wouldn't we if that's god's will so it's his will then we must have it then right well no there's a means in which his peace is for lack of a better term allocated to us in our daily walk and we're going to see that And so then we have, first of all, the Lord here of peace. The term Lord speaks of the sovereign, the great I am, the the Lord, the one who is who is self-existent, the master of the universe. He is he is the Lord of lords, as we'll see. And that Lord is of peace here, as we'll see, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. We have seen this term throughout this book starts with it and ends with it. We'll see it in the last verse. The Lord Jesus Christ. The sovereign, the I am, the master of the universe. Uh, Jesus, uh, the Lord is salvation. You, sh- you shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Uh, and then the Christ, the Messiah, uh, the one who would have to suffer first for the glories to follow, who would eternally reign forever as king over all. And so then we have the Lord of peace himself. That is Jesus. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who it is. The Lord of peace. He is the Lord who is characterized by peace. He is characterized by peace. Uh, And he is the one in which true, genuine peace originates. Originates. 
You see, indeed, throughout the New Testament, we have numerous references to the peace that comes from God alone to man through Jesus Christ. Uh, we know that initially, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, uh, the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9-6, that through that sacrifice, we have peace with God. Uh, therefore, having been justified by faith, that's faith in Jesus, we have peace with God. There was enmity between us and God because of our sin. There was no peace. There is no peace for the wicked. But when we trusted in Christ, we were justified, and that brought about peace between us and God. But that also brings about the reality of the opportunity for not only positional peace with God, but for practical peace in every day of our lives. You see, Jesus Christ, he himself is our peace. He is the one who reconciled us to God. And yet we see throughout Scripture that God is characterized by peace. Back in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, we have a very similar statement right in the end of the book of 1 Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace, not the Lord, but the God of peace, it's said a little differently in this context, and we'll see why it's said the way it's said here in our passage, by the way, in a moment. Now may the God of peace sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit, soul, body be preserved complete without blame with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.23. How about uh, Hebrews 13.20? Now the God of peace who brought it from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 15, 33. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. That's God's desire. How about Romans 16, 20? And the God of peace will soon crush Satan at your feet. The God of he is characterized by peace. He is characterized by peace. We have in our passage the Lord of peace. It is the Lord Jesus who is characterized by that, and it is him who gives us peace. And it is not the peace the so-called world gives you. The world has a peace to sell you. Uh, our flesh has a peace it wants. Uh, the devil has a peace to give to you, okay? But as the world gives, it is not as the Lord gives. As the Lord Jesus was on his way to the cross and the night he was betrayed, he was speaking about the Holy Spirit that he would leave behind. He said, I'll leave you another comforter, one of the same, just like I'm going to leave. I have to go. And he said here, right in that same context, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. This is John 14:27. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither be fearful. You see, the Lord's peace comes through a genuine relationship with him. He was giving us his spirit. And we see the fruit of abiding in Christ by his spirit. One of that, respect, love, joy, peace. That is Christ's peace that he leaves with us, that we don't need to be fearful or terrified about anything because he gives us his peace. And that peace, as we see, as I've mentioned, comes through a real relationship in which we've received the Spirit of God. The world is looking for peace. The Lord is all the peace signs, all that stuff, right? Peace, peace, right? You know, they're looking for peace, but their peace is not God's peace. You see, because there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. There is no true peace unless sin is dealt with. You see, and we don't have peace with God until our sin is dealt with. We saw that justified by faith. We have peace with God. Um, but then we have no true peace as believers 
if we have sin in our lives, by the way. If you're a believer and you don't have peace, I can tell you somewhere there's sin hanging out. And God wants us to understand that so that we can be forgiven and have his peace. It is his desire that the Lord of peace grant us peace continually in every circumstance. And that's why we need to understand this because we so give ourselves a pass not to have peace based on the level of how difficult things are or whatever it might be. No, he says every circumstance Every circumstance. This is wonderful. Continual peace in every circumstance. That is God's will and God's desire for his true children. But how does this happen? Does it just happen out of thin air? All of a sudden, poof, I've got peace. How does this happen? How do we have peace? What is the impediment to God's peace? As I've shared before, it is sin. It is sin because sin effectively blocks our relationship with him, the God of peace who grants peace, as we'll see. The Spirit of God who brings forth peace. If we walk by the Spirit, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. We will experience the fruit of that relationship, love, joy, peace. And so we can know, we can know it's like a thermometer or a barometer. It's an indicator of where my heart is at if I have peace or not. And I tell you, For all the things that I've been going through the last few months with so many different things, I've had tremendous peace because God is faithful to take care of everything. You need to trust him. I'm trusting him, and I want to trust him. You need to trust him, and I I hope you want to trust him. The reality is God is faithful. You see, and as we'll see here, let me share some passages that show there are some things that we need to do, in a sense, to experience his peace, to, to, to come into that context of his peace. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4 for a moment. I'm not talking about doing to get something. I'm talking about how we walk with the Lord, which the result will be peace. Philippians 4.9, or actually 4.6. Four, four, Philippians 4.6. Be anxious for nothing. If God commands you not to be anxious, is being anxious a sin? Yes, but God is gracious. He knows that. He wants us to not be anxious, you see? And he's going to give us a provision not to be anxious. God doesn't tell you to not do something and not give you the provision to not do that. You see, as we're going to see, there is a provision for anxiety. Anxiety is a sin, no matter what the world says. And we are all prone to it. We have all fallen into it, absolutely. But God gives us a provision out of that, and it is a relationship with him in which we trust him. Notice what it says. Be anxious for nothing, but in what? Everything by prayer and supplication. Praying, supplication is a humble heart. Lord, I'm incapable. I can't do it. Lord, I'm coming before you. I'm bowing my heart before you. So many times we ask for stuff, but there's no supplication at all. We're just demanders of God. No, that's not what this is saying. This is the qualification here. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Lord God, thank you so much for what you've done for me in Christ. Thank you for saving me from my sins. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for delivering me. Lord God, thank you. And then he says, make your requests known to God. Lord, I've got so much to do. I have these things coming here. I have this, this, and this, and this. It's all the deadlines are coming. Lord, I bring my request to you to work it out. Help me with this. And he says, and the peace of God, 
which surpasses comprehension, is beyond comprehending. You go, well, I'll never get that piece. Well, yes, you can't comprehend it, so don't ever think that way, right? So then he says, well, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It'll garrison. It's like an army guarding your heart and mind. But that only happens, God's continual peace only happens in this context if we are not worrying, but instead praying. I'm not saying, you can't just stop worrying. You've got to pray instead. You can't stop yourself from worrying. You've got to take those cares and cast them upon the Lord. That is the way we do it. And we do it in a humble manner with thanksgiving, and then God's peace will come into our lives. In that context, it will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So if there's sin in the way, you're not going to experience God's peace. But here we see... We have God's peace if we are humble before him, if we are supplicating before him, if we are making our requests known. And everything you are worried about, bring it before the Lord. I'm concerned about my son driving across the Midwest and all these thunderstorms and the hailstones. Lord, please protect him. I'm bringing my requests. Lord, give him wisdom to stop or turn or go whichever way. Lord, I'm bringing it before you. You see, and that gives you peace because God can handle it. I can't. I can't handle anything. And when I try to handle anything, I'm in big trouble or I'm in big pride zone, okay? Okay, so here we have this tremendous thing. Now, I want to show another thing in the very same passage, very close by, that all not only should we not be sinning in a sense, but we should be focusing on the right things and then doing what God says or we will not have peace, by the way. If we're not obeying the Lord, obeying, we're hearing the word and then doing what he says, we're not going to have peace. Look a little farther down in verse 8 of Philippians 4. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Now look at this. So you've got your mind on the things of Christ, right? Then look at verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, that's what Paul was sharing. The word of God. You learned it, you heard it, you saw it in my life. Those things, trusting Jesus, abiding by his by grace, trusting in him, letting his grace function in your life, all those things. Seen in me says practice or literally do these things. And then what's the promise? And the God of peace shall be with you it's just that simple if we're obeying the lord allowing his word to work in our hearts god is with us (coughs) we are to allow the peace of god to rule our hearts colossians chapter 3 or literally umpire the word means umpire we're to allow god's peace to set the boundaries of where our heart is at you see we need to do that but we need to think about it We need to apply the word of God. We need to be humble before him. We need to be walking with him and thankful. (coughs) And those are all parts of a real relationship with Jesus. If you're hearing this, that's foreign to you. Maybe you don't have a real relationship with Jesus. If all these things I've been speaking of are foreign to you, you may not know the Lord because this is all about a real relationship with Jesus in which the spirit is functioning in our lives and his word is working out in us. (coughs) So then, may the Lord Jesus himself personally continually grant and give you peace in every circumstance. 
And that's going to happen. If you're confessing sin, casting your cares upon him, thankfully and humbly praying, making your requests known, if you're renewing your heart with the word of God by his power and strength, obeying it in faith, you're going to have peace in every circumstance. So then, there's a wonderful promise, a wonderful statement. May the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. That is a tremendous statement. That is what we really need. That's what we need. That's what we need. We need peace in every circumstance. Now, there is no peace for the wicked. You may have ne- Some of you may have never experienced his true peace. And God beckons you to confess your sin, to trust in Christ truly with nothing else, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And you will have peace with God, and then you will have the opportunity to have peace in every single circumstance in your life. It's a tremendous reality. It's a tremendous comfort that that peace is available no matter what is going on. And if I'm not having peace, no matter how bad it is, then I need to reckon with where is my walk in that moment and go to the Lord and get it straight so that he can grant and give me personally his peace. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant peace in every circumstance. Yes, we're tempted to be worried, concerned, fearful, and afraid, and God is a gracious God. He tells us, fear not. He wants to encourage us. He tells us what to do. He wants us to have his peace. That is his desire for us. So what do we truly need? First of all, we need his peace continually in every circumstance. Well, what else do we need? Notice in our passage back in Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Now may the Lord of peace himself, verse 16, continually grant you peace in every circumstance. And look at the end of the verse. The Lord be with you all. It's, it's emphatic. The Lord be with you all. The Lord be with you all. Now, we're going to see that not only do we need his peace, we need his presence, as we're going to say. But wait a second. The Lord be with you all. These are believers. They're Thessalonian believers. Does that mean he's not with us or he leaves us? If we're sinning, whatever, not obey, what does this mean? Well, the reality is, in Scripture, we know that when we trusted in Christ, we received his spirit forever. We know that he will never desert us nor forsake us, Hebrews 13.5. We know that. We know that he would never do that. Um, and we know that uh, the Lord is with us. We know that. But what does it mean, the Lord be with you? Why say that if he's already with us? Well, the reality is, I think it has to do with the reality of his presence in approval and in a relationship walking with us. You see, because he's with us all the time. We have his spirit, but we can grieve his spirit. We can do things in which the Lord is not with us. He does not support. He is no, does not want anything to do with it, and he won't have anything to do with it. And uh, we need to recognize that we need his presence. We need him with us. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, look back at Philippians 4.9 again. Philippians 4.9. He says here, The things that you have learned and received and heard, and, excuse me, received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. When you are walking in the word, with the Lord, in his, in his word being manifest to you, Obeying his word, the Lord is 
with you. He is with you. Remember we saw back in Matthew 18 concerning uh, church discipline, that's what we call it, that it says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. Well, you know, he's already in our midst, right? No, he's in the midst in that he fully supports from heaven the action that is being done between the two and three witnesses revealing sin as he's going after the lost sheep. He is with you in the sense he supports you. You know, when someone says, I'm with you, brother, I'm with you, right? It's with you. I'm supporting you in what you're doing. God does not support us when we are sinning. He supports us when we are obeying him. God is with us in that sense. You see what I'm saying? And there are so many passages that are so helpful and, and passages that helped me when I was going through extremely difficult times. One passage was an anchor to my walk with him, an anchor, because it was so bad that all I could stand on was this truth, and I believed it, and I trusted it, and God's faithful in it. And he's proved himself faithful. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about, for I am your God. He says, I will, I wasn't strong then, but he says, I will strengthen you. I Surely I will help you. That's a promise. Don't fear, don't anxiously look about, I'm your God. I'm going to strengthen you, I'm going to surely help you, right? He says, surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's true. And God did so, and God is faithful to that. God is good. We know Second Chronicles 16.9, The eyes of the Lord look to and fro that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. When you've got sin, your heart's not completely his. When you've given it over, you've confessed it, you're just walking rightly with him, he will support you. He is there in that he is with you, supporting you in everything that comes upon you and everything that you're doing. He supports you. He supports you. Tremendous realities. We have even in, uh, in uh, Matthew chapter uh, 24 or chapter 28, the, the Great Commission talks about the reality that we are to be being taught how to observe and obey all that he is uh, done and said Jesus, and that he is with us always to the end of the age. He's certainly with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. But what we're seeing here is the Lord be with you all. May you function rightly. May you walk with the Lord. May he support you all in that because he's already with us, right? May the Lord be with you all. That's what we really need. Now, some of you might have realized that you have no peace. God is not near because you don't know him. God is far from you. There is a separation between you and God. You are at enmity with God. Maybe you don't think so, but he's at enmity with you because of your sin. And he must judge sin. But yet he's a gracious God. He sent his son Jesus to take on human flesh, and, or his son to take on human flesh. You'll name him Jesus, to die for our sins. And he rose from the dead and he paid the full penalty. And if you trust in him, your sins will be forgiven, blotted out. And there will be no more enmity between you and God. You'll have peace with God. And then you'll have the opportunity, as God is with you, to really be with you, to support you in everything there is. This time is difficult. There are scary things for us. For these Thessalonians, they were suffering greatly. We're not suffering greatly yet, but that time may come. Things are changing, folks. They're changing quickly. You know, And uh, we need to know the Lord is with us. He supports us. He is taking care of us. May the Lord grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. The Lord be with you all. That's what we need. We need the Lord's peace. 
in every circumstance. We need the Lord's presence, his support personally in every circumstance. And then lastly, notice we need to walk in the provision of his grace. Look at verse 17. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now, the Apostle Paul, before he gives his final uh, greeting portion here, gives a, uh, a statement that helps us understand uh, uh, how he writes his letters, to distinguish them. Because, as we saw back in chapter 2, there were bad guys putting out false letters. Look back in chapter 2. Look back in chapter 2, verse 1. Now, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together him, that's the rapture, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us. There were letters that were false. They were saying, this is Paul's letter, saying, hey, the day of the Lord has come. Well, no, it's not Paul's letter. Paul had a distinguishing mark in his letters, and he shares this here. I write this greeting with my own hand. Now, it's thought that Paul had bad eyesight And we'll see it in other places. He says, see what big letters I'm writing with. Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 21, we see that Paul wrote his greetings. But he would probably have the rest dictated. And then he would write the greeting in his own hand. And and then we see it in big letters as a distinguishing mark that this letter was from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, the one in whom God was bringing his word through. Okay? And so it was a protection. It was a protection for these Thessalonians before we had the conclusion of the word of God. The foundation brought forth the apostles and prophets, Christ the cornerstone of the church. So then, we come to the last thing that we need, and it's the last portion of this passage. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. That's God's desire. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. His peace in every circumstance. His presence and his grace, that's what we need. That's what we need every single day. And it's so simple, it seems like, the three things, but we forget it so quickly because we're so feeble and we're so sinful. But God is so gracious. God is so gracious. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. It is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord, the great I am. The Lord he speaks of the I am that self-existent one, Jesus, it was his human name. When God the Son took on human flesh, the angel told told, uh, Joseph, you shall name him Jesus. That means Yeshua, the Lord saves. By the way, that's what that means. You shall name him the Lord saves. The I am saves because he shall save his people from their sins. Tremendous. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, predicted to suffer and, and, and go into glory and reign forever and ever, uh, the King of kings. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. It is his grace. It is his grace. The grace of the person of Jesus Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus. Personally, his grace be with you. That's what I need. I need his grace. I need his grace. Well, what is Grace. Though the word uh, grace uh, in Greek, charis, uh, speaks in its very basic sense of an unearned gift, unearned favor, non-matorious favor, something freely bestowed as a gift, completely as a gift, 
never in return for any merit or work done. That's simply unmerited favor. But yet we see that God is characterized by this. That is his character. First Peter 5.10 spoke of the God of all grace. The God of all grace. The God of all unmerited, unearned favor. Of gift, of, 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 of a gift with, with nothing that you did to receive it on your part. You see, God's unmerited favor towards mankind is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. It is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember what uh, John writes concerning uh, the Lord Jesus Christ? John 1.14. He says, and the word, that so the word was existed forever and ever because the word is God, right? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's speaking of Jesus. And we beheld his glory. We saw the glory of the Lord, right? Well, what was it? Of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Unmerited favor and truth. Full of grace and truth. You see, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. His grace was manifest in giving himself for us, in obeying the Father's will. I've come to do thy will. You see, to die for us. His grace was manifest in taking care of all of the sins, all of our sins on the cross. Tremendous grace. If you realize how sinful you really are, and I, and I, I realize more and more every day how sinful I am, you realize how gracious God is to have Jesus pay the penalty for our sins. What a gracious God. What a gracious God. What about Titus chapter 2? The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. His grace has been manifest. His grace is exemplified in what Jesus Christ did for us. But beyond that, he wants his grace to be with us. His favor towards us. The abilities that he gives us that are nothing from us and everything from him. You see, indeed, God's saving grace is summed up in the person of Christ. It's all from him. Let me share a passage, actually, about that. Ephesians chapter 4, or excuse me, chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved us, even while we were dead in our transgressions and sins, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that the age in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We're going to be trophies of his grace forever and ever, by the way. Isn't that great? For, because we're going to be trophies of his grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, that's salvation, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. All from him. But yet, we see the same grace is applied to us in our everyday lives. We need his grace to function. Apart from his grace, we can do nothing. Apart from his grace. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15? You can turn to 1 Corinthians 15. He talks about how he was, uh, he was uh, called as an apostle, but the least, and how he functioned, and how that happened. You see, we need the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need his grace in everything. I can't do it apart from him. I need his grace. I need his grace. That's what I really need. His unmerited favor based on love to me. It's tremendous. First Corinthians 15 verse 9. 
Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. By the way, the persecuted church is the worst sin, you'll see. He said he was the chief of sinners, by the way. Okay? And, but the, by the grace of God, the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of the other apostles, by the way. That's what he's talking about. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. It was Christ in Paul laboring. Christ doing it, and his doing it through him was grace. His saving us was his grace. His working in us powerfully is his grace. You see, the Apostle Paul, when he wanted to have the thorn removed, um, he called upon the Lord, and the Lord said, My grace is sufficient. My power is perfected in weakness. Right? And so Christ functions in us, and that is a gracious act. It is a gracious act. It is a, it is a kind, uh, gracious gift, in a sense, for nothing from us, nothing required of us, but all from him. Even our spiritual gifting, as we saw, as Paul implied in 1 Corinthians 15, is all by his grace. We know that we're to employ our gifts, 1 Peter 4, as good stewards of the manifold favor or grace of God. The, the, we're to function by his grace. The Apostle Paul shared in 2 Peter that his grace would be multiplied in our lives. 2 Peter 1, 2, grace and peace be multiplied in your lives. That's what God wants. That God wants. He doesn't want us worrying and shaking and fearing and complaining. That's what the world does. He wants us to trust him and obey him and experience his grace and his peace and his presence. Grace be multiplied. You see, if it's all from him, it's his grace. See, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. You see, we're not adequate, 2 Corinthians 3, 5, to consider anything that's coming from ourselves. If you think you're good at it and you can do it, well, maybe God gave you those skills and talents, but God did it, and you can't function apart from trusting in him. You can't please God apart from faith. We need to abide in Christ. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if we abide in him, we can do what he calls us to do. We will endure. We will get through it. He will help us. He will take care of us. Our adequacy is from God. He has made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. His grace is sufficient. It is enough. What you need is his grace. That's all you need. And his grace is Christ functioning through you in a manner you don't deserve. He's doing it instead of you doing it on your own strength. Yes, we step out, we, but we trust him and he does it through us. His grace is sufficient. It's, Christian life is all about functioning in the grace of God, which means Christ functioning in us by his spirit as we trust him, as we trust him. His grace is sufficient. Grace, grace, right? Wonderful grace. And so then we see the grace of God and the person of Christ as the provision for our lives. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. May it be with you. May you function by that. Maybe some of you have been functioning in your own strength and you have done well. Well, then pride comes in. Or you've failed and then comes discouragement and despair. The reality is if you trust in Christ, he will do what he wants to do through you if you trust him. The grace of our Lord be with you all. We feel this is what we need. So what do I need? What do I really need? Well, the church says I need all this and this and this and this and this. 
And it's all based on my desires. And God says, no. God says, what we need is his peace continually in every circumstance. God says, what we need is his presence, that the Lord would be with us all, affirming and confirming and helping us in everything in the context of his grace is what we need, that we need to be functioning by. We need to walk in the provision of his grace. So what do we really need? We need Christ. It's all summed up in him. It's all summed up in him. Summed up in him. If you trust him and obey him and walk in him, you're going to have these things in your life. You're going to have what you need because what you need is Jesus truly functioning in your life in the context of humble, dependent, uh, obedient, uh, prayerful uh, a life. So what do we need? We need Jesus. So here we go. This is the end of the book. What a book. What a wonderful book. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much that you graciously and willingly provide these things. Lord, I pray that we would, uh, we would receive the provision of your peace in every circumstance, that we would uh, walk with you so that you would be approving and with us in everything we do. Lord, that we would function by your grace, which is sufficient for everything, that we would allow Christ to be manifest in our lives, and that we would be thus examples to others of, of hearts that are changed and are different in the midst of a world that is upside down, in the midst of all the difficulties we might be, might be coming before us. Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you. I pray that they would recognize their state, that they would turn to Christ and the blinders would be removed. They would cry out for salvation. And Lord, for those of us here, as we enter into difficult times in whatever it might be, Lord, help us to remember your will for us, your desire, your peace. Uh, your presence, and your grace. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.